Well, again, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and um, I'm, uh, I'm still excited from our last week as we began this year-long journey through the Gospel of Mark, and that's where we're going to be again today. Uh, but just to review, last week was kind of the preparation time. It was almost a, a throwback to Advent season. That as we think about a race, and we talked about that with our kids this morning, but we think about a race is on your mark, get set, go. And last week was on your mark, get ready, here we go, prepare the way for the Lord. And so today we continue on, and so if you would open the Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, and we'll continue where we left off, and we will start in verse 4 this morning, as we hear what Mark has to say about the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. Mark chapter 1, verses 4. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives, and trust this good news. The word of the Lord is, is, uh, is rapid fire this morning, and you're going to see this as we journey through the gospel is, boy, Mark doesn't waste any words. He doesn't go on these long, long, multi-paragraph descriptions of stories. We're hitting story after story after story here real quickly, and so what that means is what is in here matters. It's intentional as Mark wrote this out and wrote, this, uh, wrote, wrote his gospel. And so what I want us to see first as we explore, hey, here's John the Baptist on the scene now, and he's in the wilderness, and he's fulfilling this prophecy. But what he's doing first is there is forgiveness that's being sought. Verse 4 says they wanted God to forgive their sins. And it's very interesting that this right off the bat, in the first chapter, Mark addresses this. And because people reading this in the first century, especially the, the first century Jews, the one who have been following God from the beginning, they... Well, okay, they wanted their sins to be forgiven. There was a way for that to happen. That we can read back in the Old Testament, we can back, especially the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we can read the description of how sins were forgiven. Now, we're not going to go back and read the first seven chapters of Leviticus because I want you to stay awake this morning, but, but, but suffice it to say that what you did basically is you go to a priest and you bring a lamb or an ox or a goat or a pigeon or some type of sacrifice, 
And the priest will offer up that sacrifice in the tabernacle, in the temple, but they'll offer that up on your behalf and through that goat or sheep or whatever animal your sins are forgiven. And this, especially in Leviticus 1 through 7, it's, it's unintentional sins. It's the one, oh, I didn't mean to, but I messed up. I wasn't aware. But you, you discover there is sin. We've got to deal with that. And here's the way to deal with that. So you kind of do this every day because you're not perfect and you mess up at times. And so there's this ritualistic thing that you've got to follow that you go through the motions, you do what needs to be done, you bring the sacrifice. Sometimes you don't have the goat with you, you got to buy a goat, so you, you, you pay the fee, and then you're able to, to present the sacrifice. But in that, in that Old Testament description, there is no mention of what Mark mentions here, changing their hearts and lives. And some translations would say repent, repenting. So what John the Baptist is introducing here is not a matter of following instructions and offering sacrifices. This is a matter of changing your heart and life and then being baptized in verse 4. So if you want to address the sin in your life, Mark is telling us right off the bat here, the answer is not, well, I'm just going to try harder next time, or I'm just, I'm just going to ignore the bad and just focus on the good. It's not that I'm going to punish myself in some way. And it's also not that I'm going to follow some ritualistic purification ceremony. No, in order to address sin, Mark tells us we must confess our sins. And the way we see this is we have that open channel to God. We have the gift of prayer. And as we pray, we confess our sins. Don't just make prayer a way in which we just ask for things. That prayer is also, God, I'm going to own up to my mistakes. I'm going to confess my sins to you. And not just confess, but Mark would also tell us, repent from our sins. Change the way we live our lives. If we can make amends in some way, make amends. But, but f- let's focus on repenting and changing, doing the things we need to do to make sure it doesn't happen again to the best of our ability, take steps to stop doing the sin that we've been doing. There's repentance. And John the Baptist then says as well, be baptized. He's called, calling them to be baptized. And I'll get to what baptism means in, in just a moment here, but we, then we see Jesus. Jesus comes to be baptized. And here, Mark, make sure to note that God the Father and God the Spirit were both present during God the Son's baptism. All three parts of the Trinity are here. God is here, and, and he's all here in, in this beautiful moment. So if there's any question about Jesus' identity, if there's any, eh, maybe he's just a good person, maybe he's just a prophet, maybe he's just a really good teacher, no, there's something else going on here. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. All doubt is taken away by the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit affirming Jesus the Son. And can you imagine a more beautiful moment then? If Jesus had any doubt, and I don't know exactly what was going through his mind at this time, but here's the affirmation he or anyone else present would need in that moment. There was no doubt, and no doubter left at the river by the end of the day, because Jesus, God the Son, was right in line with the will of God the Father and God the Spirit. What a beautiful picture, what a beautiful description, what a beautiful moment that must have been as heaven kissed earth right there. 
And then what happens next? Let me tell you a story before we continue in Scripture. And this is, um, it's, it's a story. I'm not even sure I've ever told CJ this story. It's one of those stories. You ever have those memories or those things that hang out in your head that are maybe sources of embarrassment? <laughs> that is just like, I cannot believe that happened. Like, I cannot believe I did that. I cannot believe I chose to do that. And, and, and uh, this is a middle school story, so I'm going to tell you right now, you, you know, middle school stories. And, and the, this is a story that I, I'm sure if we went back to my middle school classmates and found them and tracked them down and asked them, do you remember this? I'm sure, probably, none of them, they would all say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't remember this. I run it through my head like thousands of times in my adult life now. I've made it to 40 now. This thing is still in my head. Do you have those stories? Do you have the, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you're laying up you know, in bed, staring at the ceiling, and oh, I cannot believe I did that so many years ago in middle school. Okay, here it is. If you know me even a little bit, you know I am a competitive person. If we are keeping score, I will beat you, okay? That's, that's my mentality. And it doesn't always work out that way. I don't always win, but I want to win. I always want to win. I'm a competitive person. And even thinking about this passage this week, this story came up in my head that in middle school... In P.E., as long as the weather was decent, we were outside for P.E., and we would go to the football field. And sometimes you play football, sometimes it was kickball or soccer or baseball, whatever, but it was always on the football field, and no matter what we were going to do for that day, we always started with a warm-up lap, okay? And it's just one lap around the football field, and we didn't even have a track, so it wasn't even that long. It was just stay on the, on the sidelines and, you know, on the outer edge of the football field. So that one lap, that one warm-up lap, and I'll tell you, eighth grade Billy made sure that every single day I won the warm-up lap, okay? I was going to win that warm-up lap. My coach didn't care. No one was racing me, but I'm going to finish first in the warm-up lap. I was that kid, okay? So, I, so, so I'm, get, I'm getting ready to go, and I would w- win the warm-up lap every single time, except one day, the day I will never forget. I was already halfway through the lap, and guess what? I was winning. I was in first place again. But then suddenly, with no warning at all, I was attacked. I was attacked. And not from behind, but it was right in my face, and I felt the pain on my neck. And it's the, the neck, that's where I first felt the pain hit me, and it hit me so hard that my legs flew out from under me, and I landed, flew backwards, and I landed on my back staring up at the sky, and I'm experiencing this searing pain on my neck, and I'm stunned, I'm hurt, I have no idea what attacked me. I, I did not see it coming. And so as I'm laying on the ground, I'm, I first realize, okay, the attack has stopped, And across the field where my PE coach was waiting for us to just finish the warm-up lap, I heard my PE coach say, ooh. And then from behind me, all those losers I was beating, (laughs) all those those classmates from behind me, I heard, ooh. And I laid there for a minute, kind of regaining my wits, and I looked around to see what or who attacked me, and what I saw was a badminton net. And it wasn't the full net. The full net was there off to the side. And then there's a pole. 
And then there's an anchor line, a real thin anchor line that ran all the way down to the ground, from the top of the pole to the, to the, the ground. And unbeknownst to me, I had attempted to run directly through the anchor line. And I was literally closed-lined by that badminton net. And I did not see it coming. And part of me still to this day is convinced that it wasn't there at first. That until I approached it, it somehow it jumped out in front of me. I, I, I think it might have happened that way. And I don't know what kind of ocean liner anchor they used to put that thing in the ground, but somehow it held as, as I, at full sprint, tried to go through the thing. <clears throat> and that is how we come to a 40-year-old man with a wife and kids and a full-time job faithfully serving the Lord can sit in his bed at night and stare at the ceiling and think, what a moron I was. <laughs> I cannot believe I got clotheslined by a, by a, and it was yellow, is you supposed to be, uh, if we're not careful here, this next part in the Gospel of Mark and what we just read will catch us by surprise just as much as a ridiculous anchor line in 8th grade PE. That Mark tells us Jesus was baptized. And the Father showed up and gave this speech and the Spirit descended like a dove. Again, heaven kissed earth and then wham! It hits you. Badminton net right to the kisser in verse 12. It says, at once, the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. You have no idea how radical and how crazy and how messed up that is. What? What? Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, this calling on his life, that he was God who put on flesh, and God the Father had affirmed it. And the Spirit descended upon him. All is right. The kingdom of God has broken into this world in this moment. And what is the next thing that happens? Wham! Wilderness and temptation. You would think it would be baptism and then parade. And then celebration. Bring out the potluck. Let's, let's have a good time here. This is exactly what God wanted. Woo! But it's not. Mark shocks us, catches us by surprise. And who was it that forced Jesus into the wilderness, it says in verse 12? At once, the Spirit, the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. It wasn't that at once Jesus... Yeah, he did some good, but now he's, gonna go, he's, he's just going to make a mistake. And he's going to go off, man, this was great. I hate myself. This was great. Father likes me. The spirits, yeah. All right, I'm going to do my own thing for a while. I've earned that. No, it was the Spirit. The Spirit forced Jesus into the wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan. Wilderness? Temptation? You would think, oh, let's do a big revival. Let's do some miracles now. Let's, let's ride this momentum. This is awesome. And that's not what happened. You know, sometimes we as followers of Christ, we can get mixed up or confused and think that temptation is a sin. 
that to be tempted, there's something wrong with me because I'm being tempted. Mark lets us know right at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus was tempted. There is temptation in this world. The enemy, Satan, is in this world. And he wants to bring you down. And even at what we would say is probably the highest point, the most public success and victory in Jesus' life so far, and immediately it leads to wilderness and temptation. If you are facing temptation today, you may still be right in the center of God's will. But temptation means I'm weak. Temptation means there's something wrong with me, right? No, we all face temptation. The, the problem is we don't like to talk about it. The problem is we, we like to pretend we're strong or that we never face temptation. What, what if we, as God's people, dared to confess our temptations, understanding I haven't done anything wrong, necessarily, but I've been tempted. And in to, to fight temptation, to overcome temptation, we might need each other. We might need to say, hey, this is my struggle. Can you help me out? Can you be my accountability partner? Can you walk with me on this journey? But you know when the unexpected pops up, when you get smacked in the face, and life leaves you lying on your backside looking up at the sky wondering what in the world just hit me? How did I get right here? Well, and again, for the third time, you're going to hear from James chapter 1 this morning. Wayne read this to us already. I read it during our prayer time. Think of the, James chapter 1, verse 2. Think of the various tests you encounter as occasions of joy. James, who's James? He's the brother of Jesus. He would know. Think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And verse 4 is, verse four is I want you to get this, we'll put it up on the screen. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Because I think the hope is not that we go through life, our entire lives, in a protected bubble or a super soft cushion surrounded. We, were, we are always safe and we are never exposed. We are not called as God's people to that type of life. Instead, we are called to be in this world of darkness and to reflect God's light. You cannot reflect God's light when you are hiding. So, the hope is that you and me, we as God's people, shine God's light all the brighter because we have endured all of that darkness and that darkness, they, it, the world can throw at us everything it can, and yet we remain faithful and are able to stand because we're guided by the Spirit, and we are mature, complete, it says in James chapter 1. You're not going to be mature, you're not going to be complete if all you've ever done is hidden, been hidden away. There's no growth there. There's no experience there. But to be fully mature, to be complete is to be tested, to be refined. That what God has introduced into your life may be exactly what you need to push you even further to be all that you could be in Christ. 
And this might make zero sense to someone who doesn't know their Bible. To a new Christian, it may be easy to think, oh, look, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I've made that decision. I've confessed and repented my sins. It's beautiful. I've turned away from darkness into the glorious light of Jesus. And what's next? Butterflies and rainbows. Is that what your life's been like? As a follower of Christ? Wouldn't that be nice? I think butterflies are actually a little bit creepy, but that's another thing. Just fly straight, man. Come on. But no. We think, okay, must be no more enemies, no more bullies, no more rude customers to deal with, no more annoying neighbors, no more unreasonable bosses, or maybe all my relatives will finally suddenly get along, or no more financial stress or health issues. My vehicle's finally going to work. My bank account's finally going to look good. All of it will now perfectly be fine because I've been baptized and I've given my life to the Lord. And then wham, badminton net, (laughs) right to the kisser. And Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted. Do you think you could do better than Jesus? You will, at times in your journey with Jesus Christ, Find yourself in the wilderness being tempted. Be ready for it. Prepare for it. It will happen. There will be seasons of your life when you are in wilderness and you are in tempted. And please don't think you're doing something wrong. Don't think God has turned his back on you. Don't think now I'm all alone. I guess it didn't work. It didn't take. It's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy does not like when you have given your life to the Lord. The enemy does not like when you have confessed your sins and dealt with it. The enemy does not like when you dare to share your struggles and your temptations with others because then there might be some accountability. Then you might receive some help. Then you might receive encouragement. The enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants you to think you are alone, that you you have no help, no friends, and it's just a matter of time before the enemy wears you down. Don't give in. Don't believe the lies. Jesus was there in wilderness and in temptation, and he faced it. And you know what Jesus says later on in John chapter 16? He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And if Jesus Christ has overcome the world, then followers of Jesus Christ can also overcome the world with his power and his spirit. And then that brings me then to the final portion of this chapter. And again, it's fast forward. It's hitting. It's a lot. We have verse 9 says, about that time. Verse 12 says, at once. Another translation says, immediately this is what happened. Then Mark says, here we go. Let's go to the next thing. And verse 14 After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying it. And and if you don't get this, you will not get the rest of Mark. You've got to get this, this little, and this, I've underlined it, I've circled it, highlight stars by it. Verse 15 is the theme and the anthem for the rest of the gospel. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Again, underline it, circle it, highlight it, get it. Here comes God's kingdom. Some translations say the kingdom of God has come near. When we have confession and repentance of sins, 
when we're really seeking to change our hearts and lives, when we submit to the waters of baptism, when we endure wilderness and temptation, we are at the starting line. The race has begun. And last week we talked about this, you know, the, the prepare message. On your mark, get set, go. On your mark, you know, get your chips ready, right? Ear to hip. On your mark, get set, go, and now here we are at go. This is the go statement in the Gospel of Mark. Here comes God's kingdom. And you want to talk about competition? You want to talk about who wins? Let me tell you. When there's wilderness, when there's temptation, it's the enemy. The enemy wants to win. But we have God the Father. We have God the Spirit affirming God the Son. And guess who wins between God the Son, backed by the Father and the Spirit, against the enemy of wilderness and temptation? It is not close. It's not a one-point victory. It's not Jesus throwing four interceptions in the first half and then narrowly eking out a victory, although that's pretty exciting. Oh, no. It's a blowout. And if you want to be competitive like I'm competitive, you better get on Team Jesus. It's a blowout. And the rest of Mark's gospel is how God's kingdom time and time again breaks into this world and every agent of the enemy, every temptation, every weakness, every attempt by the enemy to have a presence, to have a foothold, to have just a little spot in this world is blown apart when Jesus shows up. Through his life, through his ministry, what a ride this is going to be because you're about to see a blowout. And if you believe this, if you're ready for this ride, God doesn't just invite you on this journey. He gives us what we need. We read in James this morning, he'll give us wisdom if we just ask for it. I need some wisdom. We have two sacred practices that we do in this church. Both are centered on receiving God's grace. One sacrament we've already talked about today, we've experienced in in previous weeks, is the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is the bestowing of God's grace on the person being baptized. It's not about, oh, the decision I've made or about, look how good I've been. It is about God's grace coming down just like the dove on Jesus. God's grace descends on us in, in the baptismal waters. And we've baptized many in this church. I'd love to baptize more. If you'd like to be baptized, find me after the service. Let's talk about it. I want to make sure you understand what baptism is. But we, we will baptize you. It would be, be great. But that's the, that's the first sacrament. We have the, the second is also a means of grace. It is the Lord's Supper. It is communion. In which we, especially we who are baptized, we know that grace. We've received that grace. And communion, we receive that grace on a regular basis now that the bread and the cup are further instruments of God's grace that sustains us. And so on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink. All of you, this is my, the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. 
Lord, we come to you today and we receive the cup and the bread, not as a reward or an earned wage, but we receive it because we know we are in need of your grace and you offer it freely. And the sacrifice you made, far better than any animal sacrifice or old ritual, that your, your sacrifice today, Lord, on the cross allows us to respond to this grace. And as we recognize the reality of wilderness and temptation in this world, Lord, we pray that your grace may prove even stronger and we may endure through the power of your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, here's the kingdom of God. Get ready. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat, remembering Christ died for you, and be thankful. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink, remembering Christ died for you, and be thankful. Lord, may your instruments of grace descend on us today, not that we can just hoard it, but may we then share it. May it spread from this place, Lord, that your church may expand and burst out of these walls and your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.